Welcome to Semio Bites, bite-sized podlog episodes related to theological semiotics. Terry, it's it's been a while since we've talked. Um, as far as listeners, it's only going to sound like a two-week difference, but you and I have had a much larger break than that. Uh, how has it been in Florida with this crisis that's been going on? The coronavirus in particular? That one first, yes. Okay. Well, it, it's it's been the U.S. American idiocy manifest all over the state. Our Governor DeSantis is one of the Trump idiots, idiot army. I mean, I don't know if you saw that video or not at the villages. Did you see that? Of course, that has more to do with the, that has more to do with the racism. So we'll come back to that one. But it's it, our governor has basically said that he's going to go along, with, you know, toe the Trump line, and the beaches are open, and the bars are open, and the restaurants are open, and there's no, you know, I mean, they're starting to back down now that they've seen. Oh, you mean we've gone up double numbers what we were a month ago? Yeah, it's rising twice as fast as it was a month ago, and it ain't slowing down. It's accelerating. We're one of the top five states, I think, in terms of being the worst place to be if you don't want to contract coronavirus. And it's insane. Hmm. We go to the grocery yeah. store and there's there's differences. It's, it's, it's being addressed at the individual enterprise level. Some businesses have smarts like Target. If we go to Target, they wipe every cart, every checkout, every credit card machine they wipe everything down after every use by every individual and they clean the restroom after every person comes out they go in and sit so they're taking it to heart and you really they will not allow you to stay in the store if you don't wear a mask they will just ask you to leave now contrast that with walmart where it's exactly the opposite. Right now, I guarantee you at our neighborhood Walmart, which is just the market Walmart, it's not the big superstore. At our neighborhood Walmart, I guarantee you, if we were to go there, you and I, we'd have a hard time finding a place to park, especially because it's the dinner hour and people are shopping to take stuff home for dinner. And in that parking lot is a tent selling fireworks for the 4th of July. (laughs) And we would have a difficult time finding a place to park and maybe one person in three or four would be wearing a mask and the distancing would be non-existent now whether the store for a while the store made you queue up in six foot increments and they would only allow certain numbers in and they would count as you went in and when you got to that maximum number they just kind of hold the line until enough people came out and they'd start letting people in as people came out I don't know if they're still doing that or not. Peggy's been to the store, but she says the difference between Target and Walmart is night and day. It's almost like Walmart wants to kill their customers. Target wants to keep them alive. <laughs> yeah. The Walmarts here, um, have, before July, they have not been regulating. Um, I don't I don't expect you to have tracked what's happening in Oregon, but our governor has been a bit more proactive in trying to address it. And about around June 24th, she made a rule that the city area, the Tri-County Metro area, was mandatory face masks, but the rest of the state wasn't. 
and we had a lot more restrictions than the rest of the state did because there's a lot of rural areas yeah. you could drive an hour before you see a city yeah. and so those areas that didn't have infections they didn't have to do face masks and they could have groups larger than 25 whereas in the city you're maxed out at 25. Right. well uh fred myers which is kroger they were not enforcing the face masks walmart was not enforcing the face masks only a couple shops here were and so the governor turned around and made a mandatory statewide order that as of July 1st, face masks are required every business statewide, no exceptions. And that people can report those businesses to, it's called OSHA, it's our Oregon Health and Safety. And if for businesses, for OSHA to visit, that's a bad thing because it costs thousands of dollars in fines at the very least. And yep. people are allowed to make OSHA complaints for businesses that are not complying and mandating face masks of everybody. Yeah, you're saying OSHA, which I understood to be the Occupational Safety and Health Act. Is, is so yeah, we we have an organization. Yeah, well, well we, no, it's it's the version that you're referring to, but we have an agency that we refer to as OSHA that handles it. I see. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If I remember correctly, Washington and Oregon. Of course, they were some of the earliest hotspots, especially Seattle and Portland. Mm -hmm. And if I understand correctly, Washington and Oregon <clears throat> were smart enough to pull as much of the politics out of it as they could and hand the leadership of where things went over to the scientists. Yeah. Is that, that yeah, so we have the Oregon Health Authority, and they oversee everything that's happening statewide. Okay, that's good. That was smart. Yeah. Now they actually um, did a Facebook live Q&A for a half hour on the day face masks went mandatory where anybody could ask questions, they'd answer all the questions so people knew what a face mask was, how you're supposed to wear it, and where it's required. <laughs> I saw a, uh, a photograph, it went, I don't know if it went viral or not, but it was pretty widespread on Facebook. <clears throat> it was a photograph up on an, on an airplane of a guy sitting in the in an aisle seat and the person across the aisle from him took a photo of this and he was a, <clears throat> a he was built like me he was overweight and he had on a MAGA hat right <laughs> and he had a face mask on and he had pulled it up and covered his eyes with it so he could sleep okay and I'm going hello <laughs> I mean and I see people all the time, even employees in stores that are wearing the mask, but they have it pulled down to here. Yeah, yeah. So there's this um, comic I saw below that I can't unsee. Yeah, a comic yeah. I saw that I can't unsee that was shared by Lifehacker about to, to illustrate the effectiveness of that. And it's as, for men, as if you pulled your underwear up but didn't cover yourself. <laughs> And so the yeah. cartoon showed the comparison between the two and it it drove the point home to me i was like well this is pretty obvious and i'm so frustrated when i go to a place and i see them not covering their nose i'm like well, what's the point of the mask yeah you're not even doing what you're supposed to do uh, well yeah i mean so let's dig a little deeper into that i guess the two questions i have are kind of two sides of the same coin one would be what powers and forces would allow this to go this way or drive it down this path? Okay. 
And the flip side of that is, what is the cognitive dissonance among the citizenry of this country that would allow that to happen, whichever one of those two is behind it? Deliberate will yeah. and design for genocide or just stupidity governing the country, idiocy in office. Regardless you know, of one of those it is, why would we sit by and cheer it on? Do you know that there, there's a third option here? Eight out of ten I read today, eight out of ten yeah. Trump supporters are gonna vote for him again. Evangelical evangelical <laughs> all right Christians, eight out of ten are gonna vote for Trump again. Yeah. And I'm going, what what is that cognitive dissonance that's that's got that so broken? That's the second part. And the first part is what's driving this? Is it deliberate will of fascist capitalism, which I believe is the case, or mm -hmm. is it really just I mean there's a there's a cliche that says never blame malice where incompetence is a sufficient explanation. Is that what we're dealing with, incompetence rather than malice? Or is it malice with like fascist capitalism? You bring up a good point. Um, given your background and my background, there's a third category we should present as a possible answer to this is what if it is designed incompetence? In other words, something, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I want to be, make sure I understand what you're saying. In other words, there is a deliberate enabling of the incompetence that made it, allows it to happen. Yes. Somewhere, there's like an inner cabal, that 1%. Inner that cabal or... To be that stupid. Inner cabal or theological higher power. Yeah, 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 okay, all right. That's right, we are religious people, aren't we? <laughs> Well, I mean, your, your dissertation was the end signs. And to me, that it's, it's like getting smacked in the head with this. I mean, I was just reading yesterday that scientists are now concerned over a pig flu in China that is starting to become more aggressive towards humans mm -hmm. and that it could be the next pandemic. And so they're trying to watch that. Yeah. And so the options that we're presenting ourselves with here, if I understand, first is this malice, second is incompetence, flat out, and the third is a theological designed incompetence or whatever. Well, it's really I have a hard time. It's really full because there's the malice versus the just incompetence and whatever dynamic may bring those two together. That's one or two. Yeah. Then there's the flip side of that, which is what cognitive dissonance in our culture renders us willing to accept that and even cheer it on. And then your point becomes the fourth issue. What if there's something spiritual or, or, or theological going on here? The best way I can explain the situation that we found ourselves in, it's as if I'm playing a video game and I know what I'm trying to do, but all these computer people in the game with me that are completely idiotic are just trying to make it more difficult for me to complete my mission. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I'm gonna run over here even though that's where gunfire is or something like that. And and that, that's the only way I can understand this level of, if it's the incompetence factor, let's, let's say if it is just incompetence, it's impossible for me to grasp that concept. Are so many people really this stupid? And 
I, I have a hard time accepting that. And this is where I give the disclaimer that I'm Mensa. And so I often find people who are not on the same level I'm at. But this is a new level. This is a new low. <laughs> it's a new low. And, and so I, I have a hard time believing it's accidental incompetence. It, I, I, that's, an, that's a very astute observation, Yoni, because I'm inclined to say, I've been saying over and over again that the level of scientific, mathematical, or what's called STEM, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, mm -hmm. the, the broad baseline of literacy across those four disciplines is not going up. <laughs> it's definitely in decline, which goes to your point that this is a new low in exactly those areas of literacy and confidence. So if we apply a logical sound concept called Occam's razor, for those not familiar with it, more or less the, the simple version is the simplest answer is usually the correct answer. Right. To me, the simplest answer is not that everybody's an idiot because there's so many things that have to go wrong to make this unique thing. It's like a monkey typing Shakespeare on the first try. It's not right. going to happen. Right. It seems much simpler that somebody's making it happen or something is making it happen. So that takes you to the inner circle elite fascist capitalism that I call it, or just that manipulation that an inner cabal, or there's some evil nefarious super metaphysical evil taking place. Well, okay, so let's address that second part here. This is a this is an area in which we can uh, Christianity teaches fallen angels and Satan being leader of fallen angels and there's this great war and there's evil spiritual forces at work. Right. This does not exist within Judaism. Okay. Uh, within Judaism we have Satan, which Hasatan, the accuser and but there are angels that don't have free will and angels don't have names the jobs that they're fulfilling at that time are their titles and so hasatan satan is not one specific angel but whichever angel is sent to go handle the accusation okay and so judaism also believes that god created evil and Christianity has a hard time with this concept of the problem of evil and did God create evil or did he allow it to exist? Judaism just cuts it to the chase and says, nope, Prophet Yeshayahu, Isaiah, says God created evil. Therefore, God created good and evil. It's in the world. It's not that God's intentionally doing evil, but God does allow evil to exist and God sends angels to go do things that we consider evil to bring about the greater plan. So a pandemic on our perspective, is totally evil. But in the cosmic balance of the universe, what if it's stopping something that could have been worse with too much overpopulation? Or what if it's leading people to a conclusion for the world to come instead of perpetuating the cycle of suffering that we found on this world for too long? I like that perspective. Um, and I don't think it's altogether inconsistent well it, there could there's a resonant harmony to be developed there between the judaic view and the christian view we mm -hmm. in christianity reduce it down to this one entity who may not have free will but he has power and exercises it for evil specifically against humanity that's kind of the christian view but mm -hmm. 
it's it's it, I can see a resonant harmony between that and seeing it as no, it's really God's will for a plan beyond our comprehension, and in order to bring that about, because we are humans with free will, what we experience as evil has to be real, and the Satan or the what'd you say, Hasatan? Hasatan, yeah. Hasatan that you refer to is a collective of angel behavior as opposed to a particular angel that behaves in a certain way. It's a collection of angels, part of the angel army, if you will, that is uh, given mandate and marching orders, so to speak, to carry out those evil orders. So I yeah. can see a kind of resonant harmony in looking at it both of those ways or one of the other of those ways. You ready for another curveball? Say again? Judaism. I said, are you ready for another curveball? Sure. Judaism teaches, this is, this is fun, it's great. Um, Judaism teaches that Hashem brings suffering into the world so that people suffer. Because if the good people, if the righteous suffer, then there's not as much sin to atone for after they die. And they just get a, they have a shorter time in the washing machine we call Gehenna. Because we say there's up to 12 months in that. And so the more suffering you go through in the world, it removes that time, right? And that's why we also say that that's why God allows evil to exist in the world and for wicked people to be really successful, such as a certain president, for example, because if it was, if there was no reward to being evil, there would not really be free will because people wouldn't choose to be evil because there's no benefits. And so people are allowed to choose to be evil and they're given a potential benefit from us. So they really have to make a choice which really impacts their Kahinam experience. Right, right. And so there could be the concept of Hashem's trying to help a lot of people spend a lot less time in Gehenim, or throughout history, it had certain tragedies occur, uh, such as the plague. And there, there's so many things that have happened. And one thing that's said is that Hashem will cause many, either a few or many righteous people to die to atone for everybody so that we don't have a Sodom and Gomorrah situation again. Hmm. That's an interesting teaching. So there's there's a lot of challenging concepts that overplay here. It, I mean, from my perspective, I'm not God. And I can't say which one it is. But I can say, well, they all have a possibility. Yeah. And so I, I consider that. I, I lean more towards that end of it than I do the cabal. I understand um, I understand your perspective on the cabal. I understand there's a lot of people that do believe there's a cabal. I'm not saying there isn't. I just, I'd like to believe that God's in control of it instead of humans. Because every day when we do our repentance prayer, our tachanan, we say um, a part of a, it's a verse found in the book of Psalms that David said to God, let God judge me for his mercy is abundant but don't let humans judge me and so I'm hoping that God because he's merciful and he never really f gives the full punishment where if it's man well, I'm sorry on article K section 2 in this contract this is what it is and I can't do anything about it because that's business no hard feelings yeah yeah. That's a lot to take in. 
and it it resonates with so many things that are going on for me right now if i can kind of spin the focus wheel here a little bit yeah you remember the interview i did with roger hallam which i think it's about to be go live right correct yes um we just had one of the episodes of my first and go so hallam's up next good good um one of the highlight well the i mean the spike highlight you know there's always good things and a few little tricky things you know and every one of these there's always kind of up and down but there's one point in that interview that was an absolute epiphany for me yeah and i have to go into a little history here my original studies in philosophy as an undergraduate between 1970 and 1973 at eastern kentucky university i studied under a man named john charles cooper who was an existential Christian. He was a Christian existentialist. And I remember, I learned, studied under him, the, there's a bumper sticker or a tweet-sized description of existentialism which just says existence precedes essence for the existentialist. You don't get essential anything until it exists first. Of course, the other, it, it works the other way around. Existence is the manifestations of essence, being and presence. I kind of like that one myself. But anyway, from the existentialist perspective, the real crux of the matter for Jean-Paul Sartre and Simone de Beauvoir was the most, you touched on what the most terrifying thing is for humankind, free will. It's terrifying to realize that you really can do within the constraints of causal law. You know, you can't break causal laws. I'll come back to that. But within those causal constraints, you can, there's nothing keeping you from doing anything. You know, you can kill, murder, rape, pillage, or you can love, minister, ministry, heal, and, and edify. You know, the difference is the difference between a life of good faith and a life of bad faith. And that's not necessarily a metaphysical or spiritual claim. Just good or bad faith in terms of what your commitment is in the exercise of your free will. Are you going to do it for good or are you going to do it for bad? And that was when he, Hallam reminded me of this and I hadn't thought about it for 40 years, 47 years. And he reminded me of it because I, I, I used the Chris Hedges line that I'm so fond of that Chris got from Sartre actually about uh, I don't fight fascism expecting to win. I fight fascism because it's fascism. And that's that's a line out of Sartre's novel. Uh, don't remember which one, but anyway, it's a Sartre line. I'd say that's, that's what Antifa does. Say again? That's what Antifa does. Let's not go there. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. Opinion, but go ahead. I, I personally don't know any members of Antifa that actually believe they're going to win. They're just doing it because that's they because that's what's right that's what we have to do we have it's to the stop good this faith. it's the good faith option to fight yes you know. but in classic classic trump three card monty shuffling of, of language he's taken that term and stripped it of its actual meaning and turned it into yeah. a form of terrorism and it's flying the the whole trump army is you know well antifa is terrorism you know there's no fascism in america there's no fascism anywhere anymore that been around since the middle of last century 
which is just oh, there's plenty of fascism around, but Antifa doesn't help itself when they dress like terrorists. I know it's it's that's it, it's a whole it's a dangerous it's a dangerous word to use. It's a dangerous manifestation of activism. It's a slippery slope on both sides of its being, which is unfortunate. But anyway, continuing on that path I was on, there's a new perspective for me about sovereignty. Uh, and I've come to a conclusion, and this is, as always, this is kind of a null hypothesis, you know, this is kind of an Occam's razor pairing away of metaphysical entities and trying to still get down to some simple, plain truth. Mm-hmm. It strikes me that there are, there's absolutely one absolute sovereignty, and that's the causal laws of the cosmos. Everywhere in the universe, always, all the time, the same causal laws are in effect. Their efficacy varies yeah. infinitely across the universe, but it started with the Big Bang, and those laws have been operating ever since then, and they're going to operate until the big crunch, out of nothing, into nothing, and those causal laws determine what happens in between. And we can't do anything yeah. about that. It's an absolute sovereignty, and this is the chilling part. It is absolutely indifferent to us. Unless there's a lawgiver or a lawmaker as a second sovereignty. As long as you're not a deist. Say again? As long as you're not a deist. I'm not. I'm not. I haven't changed. I'm just saying, the deist said, yeah, there's a moral lawgiver, but he doesn't care about us. Yeah, no, 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 no. I'm not a deist at all. I I mean, I remain a Christian in a dissident, non-traditional sense of the term. Otherwise, we probably wouldn't be able to communicate with one another. (laughs) If it weren't for your tolerance and my struggling to get my head around these things, uh, we would never probably have established the relationship we have. Thank God we did. It's really fruitful for me. But anyway, I'm using that premise of the existential good and bad faith facing the terror of free will. And I've drawn a distinction between faith and hope where there's good faith and bad faith, and there's false hope and true hope, where the distinction is a true hope has at least some, however slim, chance of actually happening. A false hope is a delusion. It's an illusion that there's no chance, zero chance that that's gonna come about. So if you're in bad faith and carrying false hope, you're, you're basically doomed. <laughs> because bad faith is inherently self-destructive it will inexorably lead to ruin, death, and destruction. Inevitably. It's the nihilistic choice is to go on a bad faith journey in life. If you go on bad faith, but with a possible good, true hope, it's still going to be a ruinous journey. Mm -hmm. Because you're bringing about a true hope according to a bad faith agenda. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it's like having the hope of successful eugenicide. It can happen, but it's not a good true hope to go after. I hope we can kill yeah. every race on the planet except the Caucasians, right? That's a horrible, horrible hope to have. It's very bad faith, but it's been tried, and it's been, I would argue it's being tried again. So there's that matrix, that two-by-two two matrix that gives you four cells mm-hmm. to fill in. 
and to yeah. me that's becoming a very simple way to frame dialogue and conversation around these kinds of issues uh, footnote to all that about I, I use the term genocide the term i'm increasingly inclined to use is eugenicide that's yeah, what well, that is it is <laughs> you're right eugenics is genocide that's exactly what it is it's eugenicide but nobody ever uses that word that's because people uh, that's don't what think it is and, and here's, a, here's a thing to ponder when did they successfully complete the mapping of the human genome i do not recall late 90s or mid 90s because i was working well, in eugenics Colorado has been long before that huh eugenics predates that oh yeah oh yeah eugenics goes back way back into human history uh, in fact it's arguable that's always been a dimension of the tyranny that's been ruling the world through one civilization after another rise and fall rise and fall eugenics is always the other who's less than I is the one to be destroyed. That's your genocide in a, in a capsule. So what happens when you successfully have a complete map of the human genome? You have to make a good faith, bad faith decision. The good faith decision is how we can use that knowledge for health and well-being of everyone. That's the good faith leveraging of that knowledge. The bad faith is your genocide engineer the gene pool to where everything but the chosen race and i don't mean to make a play on the jews as chosen people i don't mean to be saying that at all i just mean to be whichever race you decide should be the super race typically the white supremacy yeah that's the flip side that's the bad faith side of the having that knowledge of the complete map of the human genome you can now alter it for better or worse in every single aspect of what it means to be human. Now that's a very scary thought. And since science hasn't been science since the 15th century and became scientism at the beginning of the enlightenment, going back to my dissertation here, at that split between science and scientism, scientism by the late 18th, 19th century, late 1800s had become the indentured servant for fascist capitalist corporatocracy by the begin by the post-world war ii cold war era that was the ruling superpower on the planet fascist capitalism driving on a path of eugenicide and that's where we are so but see where that leads me to that leads me to the well, there's a lot of malice taking place here whether it's yeah. a band of angels carrying out God's orders, or it's a single angel who's rebelling against God, or it's just a bunch of sociopathic evil geniuses running the show. Humans. There, I mean? there have been, yeah. So if it was just COVID-19 outbreak, then I could say, okay, well, that happens. But it's so many oh, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and it's a perfect storm upon the perfect storm. There's so many layers. I have to say, no, this is not just accidental because we are, if so, this is really twisted realm of the multiverse. No, it's, this is intentional. And so I, I agree, those are the only options that are available. I don't think it's completely 
accidental that we ended up where we are. Something, someone or something is engineering to get to this point. On the topic of the master race and that comparison, it reminded me of something I wanted to share. Judaism is very much against the concept of master race. We're the concept of everybody's equal and everybody can have a full life that serves creator. And behind that, we have the concept of what we call pekuach nefesh, to save a life, where we can break almost every Torah command there is to save a life. And anything that we need to do to save that life, there's only a few exceptions we can't to save that life. So everything else we do is to save a life. And so if we have the concept of a genome, it becomes the imperative, the obligation, uh, from a Jewish perspective, to do everything we can to use that genome to heal everyone and to take care of everyone. Um, there, there's a big Jewish support for helping others that are not as well off for whatever particular reason it is. Uh, Rabbi Lawrence Kalaman, um, he taught uh, a lot of classes. He wrote a lot of books that were very compelling. He did a lecture at Eshat Torah, it's a seminary in Israel. And in that lecture, he was talking about Hitler. It, well, the lecture was about Christmas, right? Exodus, that, that's what the lesson was about. And I know, I just, what did I do? I called an Exodus. But the, the entire lecture was about all of this and the roots and how it connects and where it connects to other things. And he brought in Hitler to the conversation. And he said that, it, what, that from his perspective, Hitler wasn't targeting the Jews because they were an inferior race. He was the ultimate pagan and wanted paganism to rule. And the and the definition of an opposition to paganism that has been around for almost forever is Judaism. So if he wants paganism to succeed, he has to get rid of all the Jews because they have the law. And that's where the con that's that's where that concept came out. So eugenics, in a way, is a manipulation to maintain power and maintain a paganistic society that is doesn't care about the other. Now. Another thing here in Oregon that occurred, I don't think this was malicious by a cabal, which is another reason that leads me to think it's that's not a cabal that's running every detail. Now maybe cabal is only running some, but not this one. But uh, one of the counties we had, Lincoln City, they, they made a ruling, the count, their group did, not statewide, and this was before the statewide initiative for face masks. They made a ruling saying, you need to wear a face mask unless you're a person of color. Their concept behind it, okay, catch this. Their perspective was people of color are already more likely to be victims of violence. And if a person of color wears a face mask and walks into a store and it's a non, it's a white person running the cash register or whatever, they could think that they're going to get mugged or something. And then that's going to be a violent situation that we, that, we want to avoid it, so if you feel uncomfortable, you don't need to wear a face mask uh, just, to, just to help you out. They got attacked nationwide because it made nationwide news. They got attacked because the people group most impacted by COVID-19 are minorities. And so now you're telling this minority, don't wear the one thing that could keep you safe in a store. It's a systematic killing of them. Lincoln City officials, they got death threats. They, they were scared. They called their turn and said, what's going on? We were trying to be nice to somebody. Look what happened. And it comes down to 
That level of stupidity and not looking at the optics of something from a bigger perspective. I I can't believe that 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 so many people are literally that stupid that nobody, not even legal help, caught that this could be an issue. But I also don't know if a cabal is going to focus on this small town in Oregon that's on the coast that really has no impact to the rest of the world. But it's it's a, it's an interesting thing because I don't think anybody had malice to do this. I think everybody thought they were doing what they thought was the best thing, and that best that they were so far gone to understanding what best was. Well, that that's that goes back to the literacy topic that we were talking about a little while ago. The more you strip away uh, cognitive clarity, or what we would call semiotic harmonious resonance, right? The more yeah. you strip that away, uh, the more the only choices you have are damned if you do and damned if you don't. You see what I'm saying? I mean, yeah, that's yeah. kind of the lowest common denominator that that cognitive dissonance boils down to. Is there's no good choice left. Either way you go, you're going to lose. It's a lose lose all the way around. <clears throat> and I mean, to me, that's kind of the driving force. It's a it's a it's an enabler of the problem you're describing. It's not the root cause, but it's an enabler of it. So I guess the question comes is, was that maliciously intended or intended by a, a non-malicious power trying to bring something about? I think there's two layers to it. I think at that very localized, that political body that was dealing with that question locally, for them, it was, um shallow perception of the issues i think no malice they just didn't quite get the complexity of the problem okay mm -hmm. at a higher level their inability to get the complexity of the problem is engineered you know what i mean yeah, they're I get what you're saying. given sufficient information about the coronavirus. They're not given sufficient information about the dynamics of people of color in society. They're not given deep insight into the political management of those kinds of situations. They're kind of left out there to kind of fly by the seat of their pants. But there are people who say these are the pants you're going to wear when you're flying by the seat of them. See what I mean? So, yeah, I get what you're saying. Here's my objection is okay. we live in a world called the Internet. It is not that hard to find the answers to these questions. It is not that hard to educate oneself about these issues. But you and have so, to be motivated to do that. And the people that are sitting in the councils, city councils, the boards of health and all that at the local level, they don't do that. If they have a question that they think to ask somebody to go look it up for them on the internet, it's their administrative assistant or their 14-year-old nephew. Most of them can't type and, and would scarcely know how to construct a search. If they're a boomer like me, their internet savvy doesn't go beyond pictures of their grandkids and pictures of swastika. <laughs> For the most part. <laughs> uh, I just, I have a hard time with the concept of somebody saying, we're going to make this policy because we think it's the right thing and we're not going to bother asking a single question or even learning any of the facts. To me, that's not a malicious incompetence, but it is a design incompetence for the person to not even think to ask a question. 
At the Passover Seder, we tell the story of four sons. And we have the son who is wise, and the son who is simple, and the son who is evil, and the son who doesn't even know to ask. And it's when you have the son that doesn't even know to ask, you have to explain everything to. Right, not even to the simple one, but to the one who doesn't even know to ask. The, because the wise will say, tell me the details and the specific laws and how I fulfill these different roles. And the simple one will say, what is this meal about again? And the evil one will say, why are you having this meal? We say, they says you, because they don't include themselves. And then the sim or the one that doesn't even ask, like, oh, this is a nice meal. And, and it's that level of incompetence, really, that, that simplicity that we have an obligation to educate. But I feel that education is here. And I feel the obligation exists by the virtue of having that position of authority. Well, I think you're right. I mean, I, I just, I think you, I think you, well, I don't, I don't want to make too broad a claim here, so I should probably back off of that. It's just, <laughs> I mean, think of, think, I mean, if you look at me, if you didn't know me, think back to the first time you saw me in our class, okay? Mm -hmm. Before you heard me speak, but that first time in Portland, you know, uh, well, we'd been on, on, on uh, online sessions before that first meeting, hadn't we? The first time we saw each other's faces was at that first advance. At the first advance, because that was before we even started our classwork, wasn't it? Yeah, my, my, ex my exposure to you before that was your ranting and raving on Facebook. Okay, well, that, well, if you hadn't seen that, you would imagine that you'd never seen any of that. And all yeah. you saw of me was this person. I don't look like who I am, do I? To me, you look like a Baptist. An alt-right, conservative, Republican, Trumpster, Baptist, right? That's the image that I project. Just I don't visual. know if I'd go that far. Just visual. I'd say like a Baptist minister. Really? But Baptists, Baptists here in Oregon are a little different than the Baptists you have on the East Coast. Okay, but you can't put the minister label on it just by visual appearance because the minister label of a Baptist has the long flowing hair, the clean shaven. No, not necessarily color. here. Yeah, well, okay. See, here we have a unique flavor of Baptist, but I, if I were to see you based off of how you dress and how you walk and how you talk and the style of glasses you have, the, the rim specifically shouts Pastor Baptist. Really? <laughs> That's fascinating. A, a little anecdote along those lines. As you know, I spent four to six weeks working with the core launch team for Extinction Rebellion America. Uh-huh. And I had to leave the team. Uh, there's a lot of problems with Extinction Rebellion in the U.S. But the, the enmity between the two national chapters is the main problem, and that's a whole other story, which we've touched on in previous episodes. But in working with that core team of XR America, which is, by the way, the good faith Extinction Rebellion in the U.S., the other one, XRUS, is the bad faith path. It's it it's a it's a spy cell. It's a ring of agent provocateurs doing everything they can to keep Extinction Rebellion from having solid footing in the United States. And now they're spreading to the UK. It's heinous. XR America is the good faith approach and they're struggling. But anyway, I worked with them about four or five, six weeks. That's where that interview with Roger Hallam actually came out of that. But they had a uh, 
practice, a process, uh, practice in their process where new people who came into that central core group, and there were only four when I came into the group, and they were the founders of XR America. I was the fifth wheel. So I came into the group and worked with them for four or five weeks, and I was such a disruption. I was perceived to be such a disruption, and I warned them. I said, you asked for a project manager. Everybody wants a project manager until they get one. And it turns out that at, at 30 or 60 days, you're supposed new people are supposed to be what in the corporate world would be a performance evaluation. Mm-hmm. From their perspective, it was a fit into the group evaluation. You know, how well do you fit into the dynamics of our group? Not how are you performing? But how well do you fit into the dynamics of our group? Well, the bottom line is the same. If we don't like that dynamic, we're going to ask you to leave. If we kind of, you know, we'll make you aware of what's troubling us, and then you can decide whether to stay or leave. Or, hey, we love you. You're great. You get to stay. We're happy to have you. Well, I got the, we're having some real problems with you. So we want you to think about, you know, how we can overcome these problems. And it turns out there were two layers to the problems. One was I was a disruptor because I had a hard time complying with the rigorous strictures of their processes. I mean, to, to in a meeting, if you wanted to introduce a topic, you had to fill out a form, the group had to agree to address it, then it got on the agenda. So it took a week to get a topic on a meeting agenda and we were having eight or 10 meetings a week. So Robert Schultz. <laughs> So it was self-defeating to the point of insanity. It was a straitjacket, and I just, I, that was a real problem for me. Also, there were two men, myself and Jonathan Logan, and three women who I will leave unnamed. It's easy to find out. But two of the three women had a real problem with me because they saw me as a boomer, misogynist, possibly racist, uh, corporate drone. They could not see past my appearance. There was nothing Don't we have this me. concept? Don't judge a book by its cover? I know, I know, but they had had, in their, in their defense, those two had had such traumatic experiences in dealing with white male supremacy and misogyny in their lives, that their gut reaction to my appearance triggered those responses at a level deeper than they could rationally sort through in dealing with me. So what I realized is that they gave me an evaluation where they told me, you know, these are the problems we need to find a way to work through them if you you think we can. And when they finished, I was grieved to discover that there would not be a way I could do it because the change, I would have to become a completely new person, a completely new identity to get over those hurdles. And there was no way that I could do that and remain what they needed to succeed in the launch of their, their, their movement. So it was a catch 22. The only choice I had was to nurture my relationship with the other male in the group because we've become fast friends and to get out of the group so I can influence it from the outside 
because trying to influence from the inside was clearly not going to work. <laughs> so Interesting. I left the group. Now I still I took my XR Orlando group and aligned it with XR America and detached it from XR US, and uh, that's working out pretty well. And like I say, I've become such tight buddies with Jonathan, who's a really smart guy, and he lives he lives in Portland. He does. He lives in Portland. Interesting. That trailer must belong to him. Huh? The Extinction Rebellion trailer must belong to him. It probably does. Although XRUS has its own chapter there too, and they're they're constantly at odds. I, I wrote an open letter to the uh, founder and top person in the national XRUS group the central group uh, her name well she she the name she uses is b ruiz it's a fake name it's a fake identity now refresh my memory what's the first demand of extinction rebellion um oh yeah tell the truth so who are you again b ruiz is that your real name uh fifth amendment uh, well, let me press you on that because I'd really like to know who you really are. Well, they gave they should give you another name, another fake identity. So I got pretty much alienated and, and exiled, you know, persona non grata with the XRUS group pretty quickly because I cottoned on what was going on. And yeah. they're, they're viciously going after XR America. And they've been around a lot longer. They've been around since the late fall, like November of 2018, whereas XR America just got started in the spring of this year. So they're fighting an uphill battle. XR America is fighting an uphill battle trying to establish the national presence that's needed where they're being vilified and just gaslighted relentlessly by XRUS on every front. Anyway, I digress, um, but that's kind of where my own <laughs> my demographic and physical presence kind of works against worked against me pretty heavily in that. Yeah. You know, I was thinking. I want to bring us back to this concept of the cabal. Okay. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of movies shows those types of things there was the whole marvel storyline whether it's comic books or movies or whatever where there's this hydra group that operates in the shadows and is secretly manipulating everything and then there was this concept and i'm not forgetting the name of the show but there's this time traveling show where this her government agent turn assassin is going back in time to try to eliminate these people from getting power because they're really this cabal that's controlling the world and the cabal sends these innocent people to stop them and it's, it's complicated they did two seasons and then ended up with a tv movie that was really two episodes put into one to finish it all and the, the tv serial yeah i i don't remember the name of it right now but both of those show an organization that in the end gets destroyed and the reason I I have a hard time thinking of how those two organizations could have not been destroyed at some point because 
despite humans being predictable, human nature, d- despite the ability to control things on a macro level, there are so many microtransactions, so many complexities to how our world and the universe operates that for a human or a group of humans to be able to stay in power from behind the scenes, the amount of knowledge that they would have to have, the amount of ability they would have to have would supersede any intelligence any human has had before, even more than Einstein, even more than Stephen Hawking. I guess that's one reason I lean towards God because it almost seems like there needs to be something supernatural to control on that level of detail. But I could be wrong and maybe there's some really intelligent people out there I haven't met. Well, there are evil geniuses, no question about it. I mean, yeah. they, you know, there there just are. Because uh, there are human geniuses and some are good and some are bad. And the bad are the evil and the good are the not evil. Uh, but how yeah. much divinity or supernaturality or any of that is involved is intriguing and a very plausible realistic explanation I agree with you on that but consider and I I shouldn't say but consider this within that frame and reference however you in my dissertation and elsewhere I've written about what's called the shifting baseline syndrome does that ring a bell it's basically discovered it was discovered in Oregon actually by a guy named Daniel Pauley who was in the fish and game and wildlife profession. And he was tasked with, as part of his job, to track and monitor fish populations in the wild, in fresh water. Salmon going upstream and coming back, you know, and uh, you know, all the fish that are in the fresh waters. All the way out to and back from the sea. And what he discovered was, as he went back through the historical record, he was, he was tasked with archiving the historical record and keeping the record going by keeping it. What he discovered was, is that what successive people in his office over like decades had taken to be the natural baseline of populations shifted from larger to smaller populations, from larger to smaller fish, from healthier to less healthy fish, the baseline of the population that was taken to be the natural state of those species of fish, those aquatic species, shifted over time to where different people at different times regarded the natural world to be what it was 15 years ago. And 15 years ago, the person there regarded to be what it was 40 years ago. See what I'm saying? So that baseline of our perception of the natural world shifts over time, but... Well, we have that concept in Judaism. What is it in Judaism? Uh, The level of intelligence that Moshe had was higher than the level of intelligence during the time of the Second Temple. Like nobody, because the baseline shifts as more generations go, we lose more and more of our intellectual ability and our spirituality. And now we're at such a point that the world today is almost at the level of the Jews enslaved in Egypt. That we we have so many levels of down before it's just pit bottom. That's if the sheik's not here by then, we're in trouble. And that we're getting closer to that. Um, It's a it's called goalless. We're we're so far down on our abilities and our connections that even a genius today couldn't compare 
to the writers of the Talmud because they're at such a higher level that the writers of the Talmud talk about a person who can lick, who can like lick something and know the temperature it was made at with the different ingredients from what regions of the world and that we don't have that level of taste today yeah. because we've lost and we've come lower. So our baseline is going down and down and humans aren't as good as they used to be. We even looking at the lifespans in Torah. You're right. That's the shifting baseline of human cognition. Yes. Simply stated. Well, think about it from this perspective, the COVID coronavirus in particular. Yeah. And the rising, and this goes hand in hand with the shifting baseline of cognition that you're talking about, that we're talking about, the rising depravity and savagery and brutality that's kind of rising in inverse proportion to that downward shift in the baseline of our cognition. If we were as smart as we were five centuries ago, we wouldn't be as brutal or as savage or as rapacious as we are in principle. So, or at least not in such numbers. So if we take that out back to the sovereignty of causal laws, here's another Occam's paring down of explanation of how we got to where we are. We're just too much of a disruptor in the natural baseline because the causal baseline of the cosmos never shifts. And anything that gets into it that creates sufficient disruption, it'll tolerate a lot of disruption. But once it gets down close to that given causal baseline that is the resonant causal harmony of the entire universe, guess what? Mama Nature is going to cut us off. She's going to say, yeah, you're just not in harmony and resonant presence with your being. So I'm going to take away your presence for a while. And lo yeah. and behold, things start emerging from nature that just don't want us around anymore. <laughs> New predators show up like pandemic viruses. You see what I'm saying? So if it wasn't engineered or enabled but through our knowledge, bad faith application of our knowledge of the human genome, let's say, this could just be the natural baseline that never shifts at the cause of the universe saying, you're just a little too many being too disruptive to the harmony of the music of the spheres that is the cosmos I created or that I govern. See what I mean? Yeah. Well, there's, um, we talked about sustainability before. We talked about what a Christian perspective, what a Jewish perspective is. And I attended the, um, the environmentalism as a Jewish issue. We talked about that thing, I, the seminar I went to and everything. And one of the things I come back to is that the Talmud says that Hashem told us that he gave us the garden to tend and take care of and that there's no one else that can take care of it. So if we kill it, it's done. So it brings me to that. What if Hashem is guiding that baseline saying we, the garden can't die? Let's mitigate some trouble here so that humanity can get back to a point where they can tend the garden. Yeah, that's, that's the same thing in a different, different words. Yeah. I, I couch it as empirical nature and the way you couch it is in the nature of the lawgiver that established that yeah. empiricism. Yeah. So there we are. I mean, 
we're at least into a second episode here, wouldn't you say? <laughs> I, no, I, I think we're at about a point. This is about 45 to 50 minutes of audio for our okay. audience. That's a good episode. Okay. So, but I mean, in our conversation, we, we, we talked about COVID. We talked about how we ended up where we're at and the different concepts, whether philosophically or theologically or politically. Do you, do you feel like you've been able to take in info as well as give out info to sufficiently address this topic? Uh, I think so, yeah. I mean, you've taught me a couple of things about the Jewish perspective on it that resonate quite resoundingly with the, not, not necessarily Christian, but at least the philosophical perspective and the spiritual perspective that I have on it. Yeah, I, I'd say that there's so much we don't know that's still to come. Yeah. <laughs> Until that comes, I mean, we, we, we won't know for certain. We may never know for certain, but I, I think that we have to be aware, regardless of our religious beliefs, regardless of our political beliefs, regardless of our personal desires. In the case of COVID, just wear the damn mask. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, let, let, let's get this dealt with and let's move on and then you can go back to your different opinions. But can we, as collective humanity, just unite long enough to care about each other long enough to wear the masks and keep the space so that this can finally die out? That, that, that's just my hope at the end of this is if our listeners can take it there. That That's... That would be more than enough. Yeah, that would be that would be adequate. There's a quote that I, if I can find it, uh, I've used it in several things I've been writing lately. Um, so if you let me take just a second here and see if I can find it, you can edit out the the, the lag. Um, well, no, while you're looking. I can, I can tell our listeners while you're looking for this that okay. uh, we're coming up to the conclusion of season two and that we will be um, launching season three earlier than we did season two. We're not waiting till next February to launch. We're not Netflix. <laughs> and so we, we, we will be taking the time to connect and record some episodes. My goal, if, if Hashem wills, with Adavau is to have season three start this fall. That would be good. That would be good. I think I found it. Yes. Uh, yes. This is from the probably the premier philosopher of science in the 20th century, and I may have shared this before, at least in a blog post, if not in an actual blog podcast. Um, Karl Popper, uh, who was a German philosopher of science, he was a member of the Vienna Circle, but he was an opponent of the positivism that came out of the Vienna Circle, which we've talked about in the past and is a key subject in my dissertation. And in his book, The Logic of Scientific Discovery, which I'm pretty sure was published in the 30s, he made the following comment, <clears throat> quote, science does not rest upon solid bedrock. The bold structure of its theories rises, as it were, above a swamp. It is like a building erected on piles. The piles are driven down from above into the swamp, but not down to any natural or given base. 
And if we stop driving the piles deeper, it's not because we've reached firm ground. We simply stop when we are satisfied that the piles are firm enough to carry the structure, at least for the time being. End quote. And now it's about science, but what it's really more profound than that, because if you go through that and substitute the science and the theories and say theism and theologies, it's no less true. Yeah. I'll show you what I mean. Let's say instead of the way it went there, I'll just kind of paraphrase it from that spiritual perspective. Theism or religion does not rest upon solid bedrock. The bold structure of its dogmas and theologies rise as it were above a swamp. It's like a building erected on piles or a cathedral erected on piles. The piles are driven down from above into the swamp, but not down to any natural or given base. And we stop driving those religious piles deeper. It's not because we've reached firm ground. We simply stop when we are satisfied that the piles are firm enough to carry the theological or religious structure, at least for the time being. Equally true. They're just different mechanisms, if you will, or structures, metaphysical idea, ideologies for coping with the ineffable mystery of being human. I mean, that you know, is the mystery that both science and religion, or science and faith, well, science and religion are both faith-based. People forget that. But, yeah. and that's part of the point of what Popper's saying here. They're both just piles of faith that we drive into mystery. <laughs> so, in the Christian Bible, there is a verse talking about foundations. And it says, don't build your house upon the sand that will erode and wither and slide or build it upon a firm rock, a firm foundation. And I think that ties into that quote you provided. It does. Um, I want to give a contrast. Judaism, at least Orthodox Judaism, does not view itself as a faith because we don't make decisions based off faith. We don't say, I'm going to have faith that God will do this. Or, I'm going to have faith that God loves me these things. We, we base everything off of what can we ascertain as fact and we have to take the logical next steps to connect those facts and our faith is taking this step our, our faith is one little tiny blip which is maybe god exists and then everything else in the jewish religion at least from an orthodox perspective is based on the foundation of the 613 torah commands that were given at mount sinai to moses and that's for Judaism, that is the foundation. Everything that occurs from it is based off these 613 laws that are in stone, more or less, that don't change, that can't slide or adjust itself based off society. And then we have to, as society, learn how to map ourselves around that and hold our place. Well, it's interesting. I, I thought we were going to wrap up here, but it's interesting. I got to share something else. I, can, I respect and admire that perspective, okay? And I, I'm not going to try to refute it. But I would simply say that if I put it in, in the lens of that quote from Popper, religiously, that those 613 is the number mm -hmm. of laws, right? Yeah. Those 613 laws are the piles that the Jewish 
tradition, religion has driven into the swamp of mystery. Now that is one perspective to look at it. Um, I like to imagine it as... And you've just been very fortunate a fortress. that those piles have upheld the structure for how old is the Jewish religion? 6,000 years now? It is the oldest current religion in the world. Yeah. So it's just been extremely successful by the, the blessing of God, if you will. But still, I think that perspective that Papa provides shifted over to the religious context is still it's tenable. It's viable. So I'm going to introduce you to another Jewish concept here. Okay. Okay. This is a fun one, right? Um, if Torah is about the Jewish promise and the Jewish people and a temple and the promised land of Israel, why does Torah waste time beginning with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth? Why not just start with, and Moses delivered them from Egypt? And okay. the point is, is that the Torah story is not about a Jewish story. Yes, the Jewish people are involved, and yes, we chose to take on Torah, but the Torah story begins with creation because the first thing created in the realms was not the world. The first thing created in the realms was Torah. God created Torah, and because Torah requires humanity and requires a people group to observe Torah, everything else sprang into existence. So for the, for the Jewish view, uh, the proper claim is false. There is a firm foundation. From the that foundation's Torah, because Torah created everything. God okay. created Torah, and Torah created our world. Okay. All right. That's intriguing. <laughs> but I think that's why, I think that's why there are some basics that almost every society and culture can agree on as moral foundations, as moral, we won't cross this boundary. Yeah. This is wrong. I'm not saying everybody plenty of people cross these boundaries but almost every society and culture in the world has agreed this is wrong yeah. for some reason let's keep going back to the ten commandments <laughs> right or at least uh, how many are in the noahide count seven yes. yeah seven, seven laws okay. you have a you have it easier and harder than me i have 613 torah commands and thousands of rabbinic additions and protective fences that i have to follow which makes that harder because it's more complex. But it's easier for me because God says, look at the thousand he has to deal with. He can't remember them all. Let's have some grace. Versus look at Terry in Florida. He's only got seven. He can do it. <laughs> and my house is built on sand. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why in Judaism, we, we say a Jewish person can give an abortion if an abortion is needed for a medical reason to save a life. But a non-Jew can't because do not murder is one of the seven Noahide laws. And they have, they have to follow it even more closely because they only have seven. Yeah. Whereas we, we're allowed some grace because we have so many to keep track of. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, wow, that's a tough choice. Which world would you rather be in? <laughs> I, I love the world I'm in and I would not change it for anything. Yeah, I, I can tell I, that you do. And I, I will say just as a good friend that it's a delight to see you and your family uh, having the joy that you do in the life that you have and share together. It really yeah. is. And my visit with you was a, a, a fond, fond 
memory that I go back to often. Uh, I'm glad you enjoy that. Are just, just blessings abundant. You, of course, are always welcome back. I advise waiting to let things die down first. Of course, yes. Send questions, comments, and suggestions to semiobytes at gmail.com. Semiobytes is a podcast co-hosted by Yedbrook and SemioCity that answers Semitic questions via Semioc analysis by addressing misunderstandings to build a bridge of shalom between Judaism and Christianity. Semiobytes is a component of the Track 2 dissertation process at Portland Seminary for Jonathan Esterman and Terry Rankin.